So 
much more, more of my love than I e'er gave before. By and by, when he holds out his hands, I'll wish I had given him After the midnight morning will greet us, after the sadness joy will appear, after the tempest sunlight will meet us, after the jeering praise we shall hear, after the journey 
did they nail him to Calvary Street? Why, tell me, why was he there? Jesus, the helper, the healer, the friend. Why, tell me, why was he there? All my iniquities on him were laid. He bore them all to the tree. Jesus, the death of my sin, holy pain, he paid that ransom for me. Why should he love me, a sinner undone? Why, tell me, why should he care? I do not merit the love he has shown. Why, tell me, why should he care? Why should I linger afar from his love? Why, tell me, why should I fear? Somehow I know I should venture and prove. Why, tell me, why should I fear? Jesus, the death of my sin, holy pain, he made that ransom for me. Immediately following the service, there will be a luncheon in the church community room directly behind us here. The family invites you to join them for this meal. And if you did not have a chance to uh, share your words of support and greeting prior to the service, uh, they will be in the uh, community room foyer to uh, give you a chance to do that as well. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die... Yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of hell and death. Because I live, you also shall live. We have gathered here today to praise God and to witness our faith as we celebrate the life of Alton Shea. We come together in grief, acknowledging our human loss. During this time, may God search each one of our hearts, that in pain we may find comfort, in sorrow, hope, in death, resurrection. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we have learned to do in all of our experiences, we come to you now, In the hour of death. We know that you love us. And that you can turn even the shadow of death into the light of morning. 
Help us now to wait before you with reverent and submissive hearts. Make this a time of opening our eyes and our understanding and a time of encouragement to our hearts and souls. Bless those who feel this sorrow most deeply and cause the bonds of Christian love to bind us closer together so that we may share with them the spiritual strength and faith in you, which is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. In case I look vaguely familiar to some of you, I am Christy Willett. I'm the daughter of Ruth Shea Willett and Dr. Ed Willett. Uh, My mother worked as a secretary here in this church for some years as a freshman English instructor up at the college and as an administrative assistant in in the faculty lounge. She is the last of the eight Shea siblings who is alive. For about a year, she's been saying to me, I really want to go to heaven. She's 95. And uh, recently she started saying, the Lord's convicted me that I really need to be patient and wait until Alton goes. 
We'll see. I'm remembering, uh, as I think about Uncle Alton, of a letter he wrote to us. I don't know if I ever told my cousins about that letter. But my husband, Gary, uh, is also a United Methodist pastor, and we had just taken our first little church up near South Byron, New York, near Batavia, and we received this letter one day. And it was from Uncle Alton with some of the best advice we ever received on pastoral ministry. And he said to us, the calling to the pastorate is a calling that demands great creativity and artistry and flexibility. He said, be careful to nurture your family, your marriage, your life, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. That letter made a huge impact on us. And then when I went into the pastorate in 1990, I thought again of that very wise advice and was so grateful for the way he had played into our hearts. I think of Uncle Elton as a man of gigantic gentleness, encasing a love of Jesus and a rock-solid theology and care for other people. I received in 1990, when I entered the pastorate, The Bible belonging to Uncle Elton's grandmother and our great-grandmother, Reverend Mary Whitney, who was ordained by the Wesleyan Methodist Church in 1935. And it is a precious treasure. It was impossible to bring it with me this time, so I am privileged to share with you Psalm 84 from Uncle Elton's Bible. Listen as we read from God's Holy Word. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. But the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. in the Lord. 
Before I lead us in prayer, would you allow me just a few moments to honor the memory of Reverend Houghton Shea. As district superintendent, it was an honor to, to get to know him and see the example of a life that was finished well, a life that loved Jesus Christ, and his face brightened up as he spoke of him. Houghton Shea was a pastor in our district. He was a leader in our district for a time leading our district camp meetings, And he pastored in central New York as well and, of course, was a missionary overseas. The example I see he set is carrying on a legacy among our pastors. And even still, when I go down to uh, the church in Wellsville, Brookside, I see 
his fingerprints there of the ministry that he had many decades ago, but still uh, impacting the lives of those. I also was with uh, Dr. Joanne Lyon, the general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church, and she is unable to be here today, but asked if I would read a letter. So I'm going to read segments of a letter she has, and the, the entire letter will be down at the luncheon. Dear friends, while it's not possible for me to attend this service with you today, it brings me joy to write, remembering and celebrating the long and well-lived life, God-honoring life of Alton Shea. As I reflect on his life and hear stories about him, it strikes me that he was a man living before his time. He and his wife, Aileen, were creative in ministry, not only in their memorable chalk talks and in the ways they shared the gospel personally, but also in the way he committed to radio ministry. Not only did he seek to share the good news by radio in Wellsville, New York, for many years, but also responding to God's call, he and Aileen served overseas in Sierra Leone for much of the 1970s. And their work in missiology strikes me as ahead of its time. Together they strengthened the radio ministry in Sierra Leone in 1971. He recorded the sermons and songs of the national Christians sent them to radio station ELWA in Liberia, which served as the radio voice of the Wesleyan Church in Sierra Leone. Using local leaders rather than missionaries to communicate the gospel is considered a key part of good missiology today. Yet more than 40 years ago, the Shays were already effectively doing so. During one eight-month period in 1971-72, 22 Sierra Leone pastors and other speakers recorded messages on the Thimni Hour, a a daily broadcast. There was a singing from the Women's Institute as well as Children's Hour. By 1974, they returned to Sierra Leone for another term of service and, and were producing radio and cassette ministry in four languages. It takes extraordinary gifts and faithfulness to have effective cross cultural ministry like this. Alton Shea was such a gifted and faithful servant. Of God. It truly has been an honor to name him among the pastors of the Western New York District and of the Wesleyan Church. And uh, thank you, uh, the family and so many others, for, for sharing him with the church. Let us bow our heads for prayer. Father, this afternoon we are thankful for this life. And we celebrate what you have done through this godly man. But we also come and we lift up the family. And though no one would deny him this celebration of being in your presence today, there is still sadness and grief. And I pray that you would be present to give comfort and peace. And even joy in the midst of suffering for each of the children, grandchildren, others who knew him well. I pray also that you would not only honor the memory, but impress the example upon the lives in his family and in the church. That we would realize that the same Spirit that was working in Alton over these many years is at work today 
that we would call upon you for strength and power, for creativity, for being ahead of our time as we are in tune with your spirit. May that which empowered Alton Shea continue to empower his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. May continue to empower pastors and the churches and those that are going overseas to serve in missions. And I pray that you continue to call up men and women and to serve us for your kingdom. And they would use their creativity and their passion to share the gospel for generations to come in the way that you only can do through us. May we rely upon you as we have seen this example of a man that relied upon you. We thank you for this this example of a godly life. May you give us power and the ability to, to walk those steps that we have seen him walk. To follow Jesus as Alton Shea followed Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. to thank you for being here to praise the Lord with us for the life of our Father. You may have memories of Dad, which you're welcome to share. We invite you to join us afterwards in the Fellowship Hall for luncheon and the open mic. You know there's not a microphone too far from me, right? Paul and I want to highlight some of the things that we believe characterize Dad's journey. Alton James Shea's paternal grandfather was a hard-drinking Irish Canadian. His maternal grandfather was a preacher, baritone singer, and gravestone dealer by the name of Whitney, and Christine mentioned the Whitney family earlier. Dad's father, Adam Joseph, the first A.J., was a preacher who had walked the sawdust trail in a camp meeting as a teenager. The spirit in the Adam and Maud Shea parsonage, where Dad grew up, was respectful, constructive, happy, full of music, and proper. His English mother saw to, to that English background. So little critical word was heard that the kids asked their mother what good she might have to say about the devil. Well, she said, he's persistent. (laughs) The family moved to New Jersey just before the Great Depression, and Dad finished high school there. Alton James didn't want to be a preacher just because his father was one. It had to be a calling. He began Houghton College, as many do, in pre-med. 
did great drawings in zoology, but realizing soon that his call was elsewhere, he settled for general science to get out of here and sang with the college choir and the quartet and fell in love with Aileen, the oldest daughter of the Ortlip family the Shays had met at camp meetings in Long Island. She had just come to Houghton to start the art department. That lady in the piano uh, is just about that time. He graduated and attended biblical seminary in New York City for a year. Dad was without guile. He didn't mean anything when he mentioned to Aileen that a fellow female seminarian who would be at a summer camp had brown eyes. But it put Aileen's mother, Amy Ortlip, on the warpath. After Dad accepted a pastorate in Gates, New York, he gained her mother's favor and won Aileen's hand. Dad was rather egalitarian in their marriage. He helped with the cooking. He did the dishes. He never spoke unkindly to our mother. A previous suitor of hers had suggested that when they were married, she would need to quit her painting. As Mom put it, that was the end of that. <laughs> the fellow, not the painting. Alton was all for Mom's art. He helped her stretch canvases, made picture frames, built a drawing table, a chalkboard with lights. He'd drive times over to Glens Falls to pick up these big rolls of heavy paper for her ministry, giving chalk talks, they called them, in churches and conferences. Then late in life, he made it his job to keep Aileen fed and happy while she painted up storms of canvases in their little bungalow up here on the hillside near the academy. And many that she painted over a 70-year period hang in the college. Mom died in 2007. Missions overseas was Dad and Mom's, in Dad and Mom's blood. Early on, they invested 10 years of work for the church, pumping up the YMWB, the per uh, precursor to the WKFM or Wesleyan Kids for Missions. We put our pennies in a little mite box to send missionaries to Sierra Leone or buy them a vehicle. Much later, others did that for the Shays as they spent seven years in Sierra Leone with the Wesleyan Gospel Corps. They both loved everything about it, mainly producing radio programs in a half-dozen Sierra Leone languages, as was said earlier, for broadcast over Radio ELWA in Liberia. Where John was an engineer. Alton and Aileen both taught at the Bendembo Bible School part time. They got into youth programs among the university students in Freetown, made many lasting friends. Later, everywhere I traveled in Sierra Leone, pastors, school teachers, and all kinds of people would come up to me and say, what endearing love mom and dad had for them. When they returned to Sierra Leone Bible College in the mid-80s to visit us, and dad taught a course in the Bible College in the book of Jeremiah, he was nicknamed by his students, the Old Prophet. One of those students is today the head of the Wesleyan Church in Sierra Leone, Reverend Usman Fona, who sent me a long letter on the table in the uh, luncheon room. But it concluded, 
Today, the entire Wesleyan Church of Sierra Leone says farewell to this humble servant of the Most High. I appreciated that letter. Mom loved the beautiful faces, and she came back from those seven years with many sketches that she developed into drawings and paintings. Over those years, Dad never had a critical word about the people or the culture. I remember when he first came to Africa for our wedding in 1966, he said, how do we act? I said, treat people like people. He knew what to do <laughs> from there. But there was one time he might have just been complaining when he crashed through a roadblock manned by young ruffians trying to extort money from travelers. I used to think that my venture in mission to Liberia was what led my parents ultimately to Sierra Leone, and there's some truth in that. But it was really our parents' early favor for God's work overseas that was the prime mover for all three of us who spent time as missionaries, Paul and Isla in Sierra Leone, working with the Wesleyan Church and Kamakwea Hospital, respectively, and I in Liberia with SIM. Dad raised us kids with or on encouragement. He often involved us in what he was doing. Mom, on the other hand, was the worrier of sorts that we might get run over, fall out of a tree, or drown. That was him driving boats on Rushford Lake. All their lives, they wrote us encouraging letters. Upbeat news, always good news. I knew when Pastor Mike arrived at Houghton in 1982 by a blue air form came this nice young guy, you know, all kinds of news. Nothing got past their sight. And they continually prayed for us and all the warriors of the gospel worldwide. A few samples from our time in Sierra Leone in the 80s. Love and prayers across the miles and much interest in everything you are doing. We are enjoying our role as backup team. Glad we can have a part. Another time, may the Lord strengthen and encourage you. You are on the front line for the Lord and all of us. We want to support you in every way. Another letter. Thank you, Debbie, for your labors of love to all your family and devotion to Jesus in your labors. We sorrow in the things that make it sometimes difficult. Let these things drive us closer to Jesus. There are questions that will be answered when we see him. But it is worth it all to take the way with him. Our parents had no prejudice. Can we say that today? Dad would help anyone to show the love of the Lord to them. He visited and helped the elderly and the poor, sought those who were desperate and needed the gospel. Our sister Isla recalls how he would get us to help assemble little Christmas baskets for shut-ins on the front rows of the church. This was as important to him as preaching the sermon. As soon as John could drive, watch out, Dad had him fetching some who were unable to get to church. Like his father had told him, some people will never make it to heaven unless we carry them. A most wonderful fact, uh, facet of Dad's life was the radio venture, which actually began back in the 1940s, right about here, when the Houghton College, uh, the Houghton Church Chorale Ensemble provided music for a 15-minute inspirational talk on the old WKBW in Buffalo. 
After they were done with their live music, they switched it over to the pastor in the Perry Baptist Church for the little talk. It was soon after that, or about then, that Houghton College was talking about getting a little radio station. That's what got me really pumped up. The college vice president, Dr. Bob Lucky, must have invited Clarence Jones, the founder of the great radio missionary station HCJB in Ecuador, to hold a seminar on radio right here. And Dad and others attended, including a leader of the Wellsville, New York Wesleyan Church, Lillian Simons. And then in 1957, the year after Dad took the Wesleyan pastorate in Wellsville, he was asked to pray at a ceremony marking the town's sesquicentennial with the state governor present. Well, hearing Dad's voice and seeing his demeanor, the local WLSV radio manager approached him and said he wanted to broadcast the Sunday morning service. No other church in town was interested. How about Dad's? Would they ever? They were ready to roll. Each week at 11 a.m., I was in the back room, and I'd turn on that little light that said the announcer was about to switch over, and then another light when we were on the air. What did the angel say? The angel said, Zacharias, thy prayer is heard. I was asking the young people in the Sunday school class this morning, all of a sudden, if an angel should come to you and say, thy prayer is heard, what would your prayer be that was to be answered? Maybe someone would be praying for a boyfriend, I don't know. What would happen if God answered your prayer? Is it a worthy prayer? Is it a big enough prayer? What would happen if God answered, or don't you have any prayer? Perhaps you're so destitute that you don't even have a prayer that's going up to God from your heart. After all, when People were touched in three counties. The church grew, and some are here today because of those broadcasts. That went on for 13 years and continued even after Dad and Mom went overseas. As many of you know, Dad was a student of the Word, the Word of God, and a prayer. We often came upon him in the morning with his open Bible or kneeling by his desk. He knew the scriptures, lived them, and taught them. Our family had regular devotions after supper. When Dad no longer had a formal audience as a church or us kids, he gave daily expositions of the word across the street from the guardies. They didn't know what was going on. To Mother every breakfast, and sometimes they were long. Though he wasn't an extrovert, Dad was a venturer. An adventurer? A venturer. Moving out to find opportunities. He would witness when traveling, buying and visiting. First thing in Wellsville, he felt the Lord leading him to find a previous acquaintance, someone related to the arts. The man was suicidal, but found the Lord and lived a fruitful Christian life. Dad also connected with the local ministerial association and got to be known throughout the town. He built things. He built the parsonage at Gates Wesleyan Church near Rochester. He built us toboggan slides right behind the uh, Smithleys, ice skating ponds, stools, sand piles for kids. He painted things, planted gardens, repaired clocks and machines. And in Sierra Leone, besides the other stuff, he was under his car, up electric poles, getting shocks and falling off. We won't tell that story now. Repairing generators. Yes, he was a doer. And he was a reader 
and a writer. He loved his library. It was one of the hardest things to let go of that library. Especially he loved history, theology, philosophy, and the newspaper. He advised, keep up with the news. This is important. He was a lifelong subscriber to Christianity Today. He had the first copies. Underlining key articles even up into his 90s, Dad ended his years writing a couple of booklets on his favorite themes. And we'll have some of those in the luncheon back there. We don't really know what to do with all the stuff that Mom and Dad wrote. Dad was a promoter. I learned something from him. But when Mom first joined him in Gates, Dad approached the Rundle Library in Rochester and said they ought to have an exhibit of his wife's work. And they did. He was often out sending mailings, sending mailings out and sending in advertisements and newspaper stories, putting announcements on the radio, whether the YMWB that they worked in together, the Houghton Camp Meeting, art exhibits, or while in the pastorate. He got his brother Bev to give a concert to kick off the church building program. And in his later years, he would search the local papers daily for anything related to the college, the academy, or the church. And then, of course, there was music, his singing. Taught us to love music. It was a ministry he loved. In the late 1960s, he got good training for a retired opera singer down in Shinglehouse, Pennsylvania, for Kelly's sake, I'll tell you what we heard in the house. And if you look on the table in the back, you'll see those written in his little songbook. His accompaniments were Aileen at the piano or his auto harp. Dad even, of course, wrote a song or two, one recorded by Bev and his most well-known, I Love Thy Presence, Lord. Dad's greatest role model and mentor would be the Lord Jesus, but a close second, of course, would be his father, A.J. I. He talked about him a lot, his willingness to move the large family from Ottawa, Canada to Jersey City, Jersey, during the Depression and how God blessed that move, opening doors to great conferences in New York, singing lessons for Brother Bev, meeting the Ortlips, and a chance for all the kids to attend Houghton College. Though Dad could articulate words only with great difficulty the last couple of years of his life, his mind remained sharp. He kept up with the world news, family events, Houghton College, and Charles Stanley. He liked, really liked Charles Stanley. And he encouraged his helpers at the nursing home. They loved him, and they took care of him. Ten days before he died, I was reminding him of a sermon that I remembered him preaching probably 50 years ago about Jesus' invitation. You'll recognize it immediately. Come, everyone who's tired and burdened down, and I'll give you rest. And I reminded him that he had then gone on to say that all these things that we seek, the power, the money, the fame, all these things really are longing for Jesus. Think about that. So when I finished... Reminding him of that, he drew himself up from his apparent sleep and in a clear and very slow voice said, That was a great sermon. <laughs> I think you caught the twinkle in his eye. That's, that was, a, that's that about the last full sentence we've heard him say. Uh, was it? Just about. 
A number of years ago, Dad was thinking about today, that is, this day, and he wrote a couple notes for us. Keep things simple. We have devoted our lives entirely to the gospel and missions. It has been a wonderful life shared by a loyal and precious companion. Quote, though exiled from home, yet still I can sing, all glory to God, I'm a child of the King. Unquote. Let us meet together one day, an unbroken company, in his presence, by his grace. Praise our Lord Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And to quote my father, Adam Joseph Shea, Life has been wonderful. The promises of God precious. The eternal hope is glorious. Yes, Dad, it was a wonderful life. And nothing given for Jesus is wasted. And we who come behind to the third generation are grateful. Now your new address is where Christ is, and in time we'll join you where there is no more time. Well, we all know of my grandfather's love for the scriptures, <clears throat> and that's something I'm sure that was instilled in him by his parents. And I am thankful to have in safekeeping three of Adam Joseph's pocket testaments, each one with the margins filled and words underlined to give to my three boys on the days they become men. All of five of his grandchildren and 11 great-grandchildren would have been in Africa on this day if it weren't for the Ebola evacuation of my own family. I'm thankful I could be here this day to represent them. It's very appropriate for someone with a heart for the whole world to know these words. The book of Romans was one of his favorites. The word of the Lord. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. 
Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Thanks be to God.
Please be seated. This is one of those gatherings that we often describe as bittersweet. We celebrate that one we love and admire is at rest from his suffering. But we grieve because your father, grandfather, uncle, friend, pastor is no longer with us. It's in these moments that we turn to the scriptures to find comfort and strength and a word of hope and truth. And for a few moments this afternoon, I want to go back to the 84th Psalm that we read a few moments ago. This is a psalm of praise about God and a a psalm of declaration about what it means to be a follower of God. From the beginning to the end of the psalm, it declares the glory and the character of God. I find that sometimes we feel a sense of fear about God. And we certainly should feel awe about the Lord of all, but I don't think God creates us to fear him. He creates us for relationship with him. For the psalmist, the dwelling place of God is not a place about which we feel apprehension, but a place of joy and beauty, of love and grace. And this is why the writer says that he yearns to be there. This is why the writer cries out to be in the presence of God. The psalmist says that those who dwell in the house of the Lord are blessed. And when I read that, I thought of Alton Shea. Being in God's house with God's people was one of the great joys of his life. For many of the years of my ministry, Alton and Aileen sat right down there in the front row. And they were two of the most encouraging people in the world to preach to. Singing the great hymns of the church was one of the great joys of their lives. Being with God's people, caring for God's people, helping people understand God's great love. One of the first years that we lived here, we were on vacation one Sunday and decided to go down to Ormel to church, where Alton was then serving. He was leading this small but faithful group of people. And the thing that struck us throughout that worship service and afterwards was how much he exuded love for this little group of people and how evident it was that they loved him. And in that one service, you could just sense his heart for God and his heart for others. The psalmist also declares that those whose strength is in God and who have their hearts set on a pilgrimage with God are blessed. I think one of the most endearing qualities of Alton's life was his humble walk with God. And for me, that was personified in his passion for learning. Many times he would share with me something from the scriptures that after all of the years of his life, all the years of studying the scriptures, he said, I never saw that before. And he was just as excited about that moment as he was every other moment. You know, in some circles of the church, it's a badge of honor to be able to say, I've arrived. Alton seemed to believe that it was an act of faith and godliness to declare, I've got so much yet to learn. And he was indeed on a pilgrimage. 
By its very definition, a pilgrimage implies movement, not arrival, growth, not stagnation. In his book, The Old Pastor and His Bible, writing about Psalm 84, he makes this simple yet profound statement. Christians never stand still. I think that was certainly true of his life. And it's often motivated me about my own journey with Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I have, uh, how many encouraging notes I have received from Alton telling me something that he learned from a sermon that spoke to his heart or something that I wrote in our newsletter. And those notes always seemed backwards to me. I mean, he was the spiritual giant. I was the one who needed to learn from him. And yet he had such a desire to never stop growing and learning that admit he believed God could and work through people and teach him and work in his life, even from men and women far younger and less experienced and not nearly as far down the road. And as we're all all aware, his pilgrimage with God wasn't always easy. He knew what it meant to pass through what the psalmist describes as the Valley of Baca, a place of grief and pain, a place of weeping that all of us from one time or another go through. There were disappointments in his life. There were struggles and difficulties. There were people who treated him unkindly. And yet, like the psalmist, he, he made those situations a place of springs. A place for learning more about God's faithfulness, for learning more about the spirit of a servant that was inherent, that's inherent in every follower of Jesus. I truly believe Alton would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than live in the most prestigious places in the world. Throughout his life, he willingly took the lower place. He didn't consider lesser assignments as negative but his challenges so he could trust God that much more. Treated everyone the same, as Paul and John said. Rich, poor, educated, uneducated, prosperous, down and out. And of course, none of this implies that Alton was perfect. None of us are. We all have our moments of struggle to be faithful to what we believe. I suspect he may have been more faithful than some of us. Maybe most of us. But he was human, just as we all are human. But it actually brings me back to the heart of his life and why we're here today. I think he'd be the first to tell us, without any hesitation, that anything good that we might have seen in his life, anything positive about his life that we witnessed, wasn't because of him, it was because of Christ in him. That above all else is what I think we ought to take home with us today. The goal of this gathering is not for us to walk out with a desire to live like Alton Shea, as admirable as that may be. The goal of this gathering is to walk out knowing that we're loved by God and that a life surrendered to Christ is the greatest life any of us could ever live. Earlier in the week, Paul loaned me Alton's Bible, the one that Christine read from a few moments ago. It was fascinating to 
thumb, thumb through the pages of that Bible. I don't think there was a single page in that Bible that didn't have all kinds of notes written on it. Once I settled on Psalm 84 as the passage for this homily, I was curious to see what Alton had written there. And I wasn't disappointed. Next to verse 10, that says, Better is, is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. He had written this short sentence. This is true satisfaction. It's true satisfaction to be in the house of God than anywhere else. I think he understood what people through the ages have understood. That a life surrendered to God is a life fully lived. A life that embraces the priority of Christ is a life of joy and peace. A life that yearns for God and trusts in Him is a life of meaning. A life lived as we are created to live. And to live a life with Christ is to know ultimately a life of eternity with Christ. I think I had the privilege of catching just a glimpse of that only a few hours before Alton died. Last Friday, Paul called and to tell us that he was, that Alton was nearing death. We weren't home when he called and left a message on our answering machine. When we got home and got the message, I went right over. Isla was there and, and she she bent down to Alton and told him that I was there to, to pray with him. And I, I bent over and I got right down near his ear. And as loudly as I could, I, I quoted for him the 23rd Psalm in the King James Version. That was the version I learned as a child. And I was quite certain that was the version he also memorized in his life. And as I was reciting that psalm... I noticed that his lips were moving. And then I realized that despite being unresponsive, seemingly, he was mouthing the words of that psalm. And I thought, you know, the word of God and the truth of God was so deeply implanted in him that even in that moment, it came out. And I thought, I hope when I get to that point in my life, the same kind of spirit about Christ comes out of me. As I pray, it comes out of you. I'm certain that this is the one truth that Alton would want us to declare and to remember today. It's encouraging to review his life, to remember the ways in which his life has intersected ours and and made us better. And it's good and right to tell stories that help us face our grief with an underlying sense of joy, even when we feel sorrow. But ultimately, when all is said and done, we are here today and we say what we say today because of Christ. And wherever you may be in your journey with Jesus... At the beginning, near the end, somewhere in the middle. Know that God loves you. And that he is with you. And he's for you. And as Kelly sang a few moments ago. It is never a risk to rest 
to trust, to give our lives to Jesus. Amen.
Father, all glory is yours. For you are able to make all people strong through your grace. As the prophets foretold, as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all nations everywhere so they may believe and obey Christ. Father, may all glory be yours now and forevermore. And as we go from this place, let us go in the grace and the power of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please be seated.